hurry up. All right. Thank you, guys. And then I also have my beautiful children in the room, Ariel and Evan II. And they're a little upset with me right now because they wanted to go to children's church. But, uh, you know, I want them to see their daddy doing this, you know. They see me go to work. They see me come home. They see me wash this. I want them to see me proclaim the word of God because one day... I believe one day they're going to stand on somebody's platform and proclaim the word of God with truth, with confidence, with boldness one day. So, amen. We bless the Lord. We bless the Lord. All right, guys. So let's do this, y'all. If you have your Bible. Well, first of all, before we make our declaration, um, my big sister, Elder Yav, she preached a powerful word last week. Do y'all agree? Come on, man. She preached a powerful word. And so I want to make this declaration, y'all, but I want to do it a little different. I want to, like... Really, I want us to say it like we mean it, all right? I want to put some attitude behind it because this is not, there's not just words. We're speaking something over ourselves, right? So if you have your Bible or your electronic device, lift it above your head and repeat after me with some attitude. This is my Bible. I like it. I like it. Let's one more time. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter, a doer and not just a hearer. And my life is the better after hearing, obeying, and applying a word from the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, y'all. Give it up. Give it up. Give it up. All right. So, uh, baby, I'm going to need your, the password to your computer. <laughs> it locked out. So, all right, guys. So, our foundational text is... Uh, found in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, um, and we're going to go to chapter 10, starting at verse 32, and uh, we're going to read all the way to verse 38, and the Bible says in the ESV, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who, so, uh, who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of, um, of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and, ab and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Hmm. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I thank you so much, Lord. First of all, God, I thank you for choosing me, God, to release this message in the house. God, I believe that this word that you've given me today has the power to transform the lives of your sons and daughters, God. And I don't take this lightly, Father God. I've studied I've prepared, God, but in this moment, Father God, Lord, I need you to rest upon me, Father God, to deliver this message with clarity and with power. God, I hide behind the cross now, God, that men might not honor Ev 
God, but that they might see you and that you might be glorified, Father God. Lord, rest upon us today, Father God. Prepare the ears and the hearts and the minds of your people, God, to receive what you have to say to them in this hour. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, bear with me, y'all, while I get this uh, technology. I'm a Mac. I'm a, a PC user, so uh, these Macs don't agree with me all the time. Let's see. All right, we in there. We in there. Thank you, baby. All right. So um, I see something uh, in the church right now, not in our church, not in our church, but in the universal church um, that's really, really, uh, it saddens me. It saddens me. And it's affected me and a lot of the people I love. And I'm sure a lot of people in this room have been affected by it. If you not yourself, somebody that you know or love has been affected by it. Um, and I like to call it the epidemic of dissatisfied Christians. All right. Many people are getting frustrated and leaving the faith because they feel like since they got saved, they were expecting uh, something that they didn't receive from God. Right. They were expecting their lives uh, to look a certain way. They were expecting things to um, manifest in their lives that just hadn't manifested yet. And they're getting frustrated and leaving the faith, some temporarily and they come back and then they might get frustrated again and they'll leave again. But some people are leaving permanently. And it really saddens me, man. So many people that I know and love, I, I, there was a guy uh, that I knew in college. Uh, well, I was about to say his name. Lord have mercy. Help me, Lord. <laughs> There's a guy I knew in college, man. And, and um, when, we, when we went to school, he wasn't saved. He got saved on campus through a ministry uh, that used to minister on the campus of Southern University. And, man, I watched his life change radically. I wasn't myself saved yet. But I've seen the fruit of salvation in this man's life. Y'all, look here. This dude was saved, saved. I'm talking about bold. I'm talking about the things he used to say, the things he used to do. He didn't do them no more. He was saved for real. I remember one time <laughs> we had a um, candlelight vigil for a young man who lost his life um, on campus. And hundreds of students there, hundreds and hundreds of students there. Mid-service, he runs up on stage and grabs the mic from the host and starts telling people to turn and repent. Like, he was that kind of saved. All right, so when I got saved, years later, years later after I got saved, um, I thought about him, and I said, you know what, let me find this brother on Facebook, man. I was excited to hit him up. I found him, and I typed him this long message. Man, I gave him my testimony. I told him what God had been doing in my life and my family's life, and I'm thinking, like, bro, let's link. Like, I remember how on fire you were, dog. Like, let's, let's link. And so a couple of days later, um, he hit me back. And his response was not what I expected. Um, you know, he sent me back. He hit me back saying, hey, man, good to hear from you. Uh, and then the rest of the message was a profanity-laced expression of his departure from Christianity and his dissatisfaction uh, with his life while he was in Christianity. So this was about a five-year period in between the time I had last seen him and the time I had hit him up on Facebook. And so, um, and it really just, it, it, it broke my heart. It broke my heart, and it, and it caused me to question, um, you know, what would make somebody, uh, you know, leave the Jesus that I love so much, all right? So in our foundational text, um, uh, starting at verse 32, um, here we go. First of all, before I, before I get there, I just want to say that um, this phenomenon, this epidemic of dissatisfied Christians is not a new thing, right? So um, in our foundational text, our author, the author of Hebrews is speaking to the early church um, who was also enduring uh, extreme suffering. He says, but recall the former days uh, when after you were enlightened, after you came into the knowledge of Jesus Christ, 
you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Man, look, they suffered a suffering that we just don't know today. Man, they were being persecuted. Christians were in hiding. They couldn't even say the name Jesus out loud without fear of persecution, fear of something happening to their family, fear of something happening to themselves, right? It says sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. Verse 34 says, for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So I want to pause right there. What is the better possession that caused them to be able to endure these kind of sufferings that they were going through? What is that better possession that they thought was more valuable than everything that they owned? Oftentimes we think in church that it's heaven. We read this verse and we think that it's heaven. He's talking about heaven. And it is consummated in heaven, but the possession itself, the possession is God himself through Jesus Christ. The fellowship that we have with, with God that Jesus purchased um, for us with his life is the better possession. And that better possession, we have access now. We don't have to wait to heaven to enjoy that possession. We have access to that right now. And the Bible says that it's an abiding possession, which means that it's going to last throughout eternity. So the, the, the stuff that they lost, they was going to lose it eventually anyway, <laughs> either on this side or on the other side. But that possession, hallelujah, is, going, is an abiding one, which means it's going to abide into eternity. So um, I'm going to keep reading here. In verse uh, 34, I'm sorry, 30, uh, let me see, oh, did I skip one? 35, it says, uh, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Hmm. For yet a little while, just wait, it's coming, just wait, yet a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. So what's going to happen when the coming one comes? When the coming one, that's Jesus, when he comes back, the kingdom of God will reign in its fullest form, and the original order that was lost in Eden will be restored. So all of the things that we have to endure now because of the, as a result of sin, the suffering, the sickness, the pain, the depression, all of those things are going to be no more when the coming one comes. And obviously they had heard this promise before uh, because he doesn't give them any more uh, detail. So they had heard this promise before. This is what they were waiting on. Um, and so um, the author is just saying, just hold on a little bit longer. Just wait. Um, and verse 38 will pick up. He says, I'm sorry, verse 37 says, forget a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So um, what do we do while we wait? What do we do while we wait? How do we live while we wait? Because this promise is for us, too. This promise is not just for the early Christians. So how do we live uh, while we wait? Well, the Bible tells us that the righteous one, our right, um, my righteous one shall live by faith. And that's what I want to talk about today, um, a lifestyle of faith. All right. And so um, in the very fact that it says that we shall live by it tells us that it is a lifestyle. It's not just something that we use and put away. It's a lifestyle, a lifestyle of faith. All right. So in the last four weeks um, of our men's small group, we had been discussing, Pastor had us discussing the four F's um, that hinder a lot of people in their faith. Those four F's are faith, finances, family, and fitness. Faith, finances, family, and fitness. 
Um, and the first two weeks were fitness and finances. And Brother Lav, is he here? Brother Lav, my man. Brother Lav did an awesome job uh, teaching us about how to live a, a fit lifestyle. Yeah, I can give it up for him. I can give it up for him. How to live a fit lifestyle. All right. And then on week two, Brother Jamal, I don't think he's in here. I think he's outside. But Brother Jamal Martin uh, spoke to us on how to live a financially healthy lifestyle. One principle that I extracted from both of their lessons was that if you want to uh, live healthy, if you want to live a fit life, if you want to have financial peace, if you want to be, um, live a financially responsible um, life, then there's a lifestyle that you have to adapt. There's a lifestyle attached to that, right? So if you want to be fit, if you want to be healthy, then eating and exercising and working out, these things have to become a way of life, right? They have to become a lifestyle. If you want to have financial peace, if you want financial security, then budgeting, financial planning, investing, these things have to become a lifestyle, a way of life. If you want, um, uh, if you actually really want to have um, a lasting uh, healthy life or lasting uh, financially fit life, all right? And so you can apply that same principle of, uh, to faith, Right. So if you really want the power and the grace of God to flow freely in every area of your life, if you want to maximize the quality of your life in Christ, there's a lifestyle you must adapt. And that is the lifestyle of faith. Uh, the Bible says in Ephesians 2 and 8 that we were saved by grace through faith. So the, the, the very grace of salvation was administered to our lives through our faith. Right. And so if we want that grace to continue to flow through our lives, we have to live by the same faith we were saved by in order for that grace to flow through our lives. All right. And so many times we mistakenly look at faith as a tool that we use when we need it. And then we put it back on the shelf uh, when we're done with it. So our faith ends up going from event to event. Right. Um, we go through something. We go through something. Right. We, we, we look at the promises of God concerning that thing. Um, we, we read it, we obey, we believe, God moves, and then we go back to right whatever we was doing before, <laughs> before uh, we went through that, right? And, and, and we do the same thing with our physical fitness, right? We, we, we see that, um, you know, we don't have the energy that we used to, or we look in the mirror, we might not like what we see, we go on a diet, uh, we start eating healthy for a minute, we get a little bit of a result, we lose a couple pounds, and then it's right back to the buffet, uh, and, and if y'all anything like me, you back with a vengeance. Like, like man, I'm, I'm finna eat everything, okay? And, but that's not, a, that's not a way to, that's not a good way to achieve sustainable results in anything that you do, all right? It must become a lifestyle if you want sustainable uh, results. And so, as a result, many of us are suffering from an unhealthy faith life, and we don't even recognize it, all right? So it's easy to tell when you are unfit, uh, physically, right? Like we said, you, you used to be able to run up the stairs and run down the stairs and not get tired. Now you walk to the bathroom and you got to take a nap, all right? <laughs> financially, it's easy to tell when you ain't fit financially, right? Like, like the bag ain't bagging. Like it's not bagging at all. The accounts are not accounting for anything. Like it's just, we, we, we just, it's easy to tell. But how do you tell when you are living in unhealthy faith life. If your faith life is unfit, how can you tell? Number one, I have three, I have three symptoms and these are not exhaustive, but these are things that I've went through in my personal life. So I just want to share them. Number one is I live in constant fear of the future. Nothing seems secure and I live my life in preparation for something bad to happen. Like you're always expecting the worst 
to happen, right? And this is a person you might even look organized. You might seem settled to the naked eye, but deep down, your everything you do is motivated by fear. Like that fear is haunting you day to day um, and driving you. Number two, number two, number two, number two is even when I have a measure of success, I feel that the bottom might fall out at any time. So this is the person, right? Like you got the money, like you straight. You got the money. You got the successful business. You got the crib. You got the cars. You got all the stuff. But deep down inside, you're haunted by the fear that you might lose it all, right? All right, number three, number three, and this is the one I really want to lean on. This is um, the one that causes people to fall away so often. Number three is the promises of God don't seem to be manifesting in my life regularly. So this is the person that always says, nothing seems to go right for me. Or, or why do bad things always happen to me? All right, but the Bible tells us, so, so God's promises don't seem to be manifested in my life regularly, but the Bible tells us that uh, in Hebrews and Galatians, that the promises of God are received by faith. So um, let's take a look at what faith is. I have a definition here. Um, faith is an absolute, uncompromising confidence in God and his word that produces obedience and that always results in the manifestation of God's will. And I know what some of y'all may be thinking, that is a bold definition. Always results and the manifestation of God's will, always. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk that out here in a minute. But, but just remember that God's word always accomplishes his will. Always accomplishes his will. So there's something in between his word and his will that's not being done in your life. There's something in the middle there that, that, that we ain't doing. All right? And so that's what I want to talk about today. That's what I want to talk about today. All right, so faith has a flow. I just define faith. Now, faith has a flow. Um, and if you're taking notes, I would definitely write this down. Faith has a flow. And the flow of faith is, number one, hearing. Number two, you believe what you hear. Number three, you obey based on that belief. And number four, you wait. All right? I'm going to say it again. Hear, believe, obey, and wait. All right, so hearing. Um, our faith as Christians, as believers, um, our faith is to be built on something that God has said or promised, or based on his character in general. So his word is the foundation um, of our faith. Our faith must be built on the word. And what's so special about God's word? Hebrews 11 says that everything that we can see was created by something that we cannot, which is his word. Uh, and then I believe in Hebrews chapter 1, uh, the Bible says that the world is being held together, literally held together by the power of his word. So his word not only created everything that you can see, but it's sustaining everything that you can see. So, which means that even the unbeliever has to unknowingly stand on the word of God, physically, at least. <laughs> so, so, what we're choosing to do then is we choose then to build our lives, our spirit and our soul. We choose to build our lives on that foundation, which is the word. Because when everything that we can see is no longer around, the word is still going to exist, all right? So, the word is worthy of building your life on. If God said it, I promise you it's coming, all right? Number two, believe. Number two, believe. We must choose to believe the word. Once we hear it, we must choose to believe. And believing um, is a choice. All right? Believing is a choice. You do have to actually, like, choose to believe. But it's a choice that's aided by the Holy Spirit. All right? And in Mark chapter 9, uh, we see that uh, a, a man brought his sick son to Jesus. And, and he asked Jesus to heal his son. 
And Jesus told him, um, all things are possible for him who believes. Now, the very fact that he brought his son to Jesus says that he believed because that was an action. My, my man Turner says that faith is belief in motion. So his action is um, evidence that he believes, right? He said, all things are possible for him that believes. But what does the man say back to Jesus? He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That tells me that. So I'm making the choice. I'm standing. I'm making a choice to believe. But God, I need your help because this things that this don't look good. This situation don't look good. God, I need your help to help me believe. So it's a choice, but it's aided by the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, and number three and, and number two and number three are really connected. Um, number three. So belief. I'm sorry. I should have said this. Believing um, always produces an action. The action that believing produces is obedience. Right. Um, true belief. Um, Yes, produces the action of obedience. So um, there's a difference between knowing something and believing it, right? So I can know, this is, I'm taking this from Pastor now, I'm not going to take credit, but I can know that a stove is hot. Like I can look at the stove and see that the eye is red and see it's hot, but I might still touch it if I don't believe it'll burn me, right? But if I believe if I know the hot stove is hot and I believe it's going to burn me, it's going to produce an action. I ain't going to touch it, right? I'm going to use, I'm looking at my wife right now. I'm going to use an example. So, like, my wife told me that um, when she was little, her and her little cousins, uh, like, like, they, for some reason, they believed that they were going to be on Showtime at the Apollo. I don't know who told them that because they lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the Apollo in Harlem. I don't know who told them that. But they believed it. And, you know, so she told me every night they used to, like, get together and, like, practice they move, practice they, you know what I mean, and singing and all that. And believing that they were going on an Apollo. So that belief produced an action, right? So I'm going to practice every night. I'm going to practice like, like, like I'm going to be on Apollo because I believe it, even though it wasn't true. All right. <laughs> all right. <It's laughs> I'm finna get in trouble up here, y'all. Help me out. I'm already sweating. Help me out. All right. So number four, number four. And this is the one I really want to lean into because this is the one. This is where people usually faint. Hallelujah. This is where people faint in the waiting phase. In the waiting phase. And I'm going to put my weight on this one. All right. Waiting. Waiting is, um, uh, Pastor said that, uh, well, I'm going to say, we keep obeying with a confident expectation that God will do what he says. Um, and pastor said that when we wait, we continue to do the last thing that God told us to do until the promise manifests, right? And so um, waiting, right? I don't know if anybody in here is familiar with, like, British literature, but whenever uh, in old English literature, when somebody was in waiting for the king, they used to wait on the king, they were in eager um, expectation. They used to, they would serve him with eagerness, Right? They would um, just wait on his very command. Their whole life was uh, thrust forth by the command of the king. Um, and so when I think of waiting, uh, that, that's what I like to, to, to compare it to. But here's, here's the question, though. Here's the question. Why does God make us wait? Why doesn't he just drop the promise in our life, right? Why, why didn't he just drop Israel in the promised land. He could have just picked them up and dropped them in there. They ain't even, they ain't have to spend all that 40 days. Why, why does he make us wait? The waiting period um, is essential because the waiting period is where character is built, right? So we are being trained in the waiting period to depend on and to be satisfied 
with God alone, right? So when you look at the story of Israel in the wilderness, um, they, had, they weren't ready for the promised land when they left Egypt. They weren't ready right away. God had to work some things out of them. And a lot of us have a promise before us that we're not ready for. God has to work some things out of us before we get there, right? He, he was trying to train them. He was trying to train them that I am your sustenance. I am your source. Don't get to the promised land and make an idol out of the promise. I am your source. I'm the one who rained down manna when there wasn't any food. I'm the one the Bible says in Deuteronomy. Um, he says that, that their clothes and their shoes for 40 years didn't even wear out. I'm the one. Man, I buy my kids shoes every three months. Lord, if I can just get like half of that grace. Like, like I just need 18. I don't even need 40. Like, let me get... 10 to 15. But for 40 years, they walked through the wilderness and their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years. They might have been funky, but they didn't wear out. He was trying to get them to see that I am your source. I am that special possession from the foundational text, right? All right. And so our frustration, we get frustrated in waiting. We get frustrated. We get, we get tired. We get frustrated. But we, that begs the question, like, what why do we get so frustrated when we're waiting? Is it because, could it be because we're more interested in the promise instead of the God of the promise? Could it be that we're more interested in God's stuff than God himself? If you're so frustrated that you haven't gotten a promise yet, you may need to reconsider your alignment. God might be trying to realign you with him in this season. All right. And so um, I want to talk a little bit about idolizing the promise because oftentimes we do do that. We make an idol out of the promise, and which, which means that um, we take what God has said to us, what God has promised us, and um, we make it our God. We look more forward to the promise than to enjoying God on the way to the promise, right? And God in his mercy will not allow you to walk into a promise like that. Because guess what? Anything you make an idol out of is going to end up destroying you. God, see, the, the, the position of godness, godhood in your life is reserved for Jehovah himself. Nothing else should be God in your life. If you make anything else God in your life, it's going to destroy you. So in his mercy, he's not going to let you walk into, your, into that promise like that. So you got to wait a little bit. You got to wait. You got to wait. You got to wait. You got to wait. Um. And I see even in the church, right, we, we have oftentimes made an idol out of heaven. My God, today. We've made an idol out of heaven. We sing about heaven, and I have too. We do have a forward-looking faith, right? But we are not to idolize heaven because um, what makes heaven so great? It's not, the, it's not the gold streets. That's nice. That's real nice. It's not the mansions. That, that's, that's awesome. It's not the pearly gates. It's not even the healing that we talk about in heaven. But you know what makes heaven so glorious? The fact that God is there. His presence is what makes heaven so glorious. And guess what? We got that right now. We got that. We I'm not waiting on heaven to enjoy my God. I'm finna enjoy him right now. I'm not waiting. I'm not waiting. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lift my hands in worship today. My God. Hallelujah. Man, matter of fact, even today in worship, I had to sit down for a second. I was getting tired. I was like, wait a minute, I got to preach today. Let me go and sit down and get some energy back. Lord have mercy. But yes, God wants us to enjoy him right now. Right now. Hallelujah. All right. And um, so what do we do then while we wait? What do we do while we wait? 
All right, so the first thing that we do while we wait uh, is we serve. We serve. Waiting is service. Pro- uh, Pastor said the other day, waiting is not, we, we look at the word wait and we just kind of think of ourselves sitting and waiting on a ride to get somewhere. That's not, that's not the kind of, the waiting that the Bible is talking about is like a, a server at a restaurant, a waiter at a restaurant. So we serve while we wait. Um, you know, so there's a couple of ways that we serve, right? So the first thing is there's a general service that we're all called to in the body of Christ, right? So there's a general promise that we have as the body of Christ, right? That's the promise that Jesus is coming back, like in the text, right? And so while we're waiting, we are to serve him and his people in his house, right? And I thank God that I go to a church that I'm a part of a church full of servants. Where are my servants at? Clap your hands if you're a servant in the house. Amen. That ain't enough hands. That is not enough hands. We need some more service up in here. Amen. We need some more service. Um, but the second thing, okay, so, um, but then there's a specific way oftentimes God wants you to serve based on the promise that he's given you. Um, so I'm going to give you an example. Um, God promised me um, a few months ago, well, he, he, he gave me a business idea, right? And I had been prophesied to concerning this business um, man, for the last two years, a couple of people in here have prophesied concerning this business. Um, and so I had just really been seeking the Lord um, for the next step on what to do in opening this business. And you know what God told me to do? He told me to serve my home diligently. And I'm looking like, man, what? Serve my home diligently? Like, I, I, you know, I thought he was going to tell me, you know what I'm saying, how to maneuver, how to get finances, how to get funding. No, he said, serve your home diligently. And that's where I am right now. Uh, before that, uh, God had promised me and my family a house, and, um, which we have now today. Amen. But before we got it, he instructed, uh, he instructed me personally um, to serve my father-in-law. He's not here. I was going to call him out. I was going, but he, he's not here today. But he instructed me to serve my father-in-law. And through serving my father-in-law in his home, I gained um, a lot of the know-how and the things I didn't even know I needed, I gained while serving um, uh, my father-in-law in that season. So, um, and then the second thing is to enjoy. Enjoy God while you wait, man. Enjoy. Again, he's trying to get you to see that he is all you need. The promise is nice. Now, I mean, we want, we, we, we want, the, we want the promise. The promise is nice, but he's all you need, all right? So, um, here we go. In our foundational text, one more time, we're going to run back to our foundational text. Um, so we see the structure of this flow um, in, my, in our foundational text. So in verse 37, right, you have God's word. You have the promise. It says, for yet a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. So the coming one will come is the promise. All right. And then you have a call to uh, confidence or uh, belief. In verse 35, where it says, uh, let's see, I probably need to use my Bible. Uh, It says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. So that's a call to belief. All right. So you got um, you got the word, you got hearing, you got believing. um, And then there's a call to obedience here in verse 36, where it says, um, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And then you have the waiting period in verse 37. It says, yet a little while, yet a little while, and the coming one will come. So you have all four of those um, flow right there uh, in, the, in the foundational text. So, all right, so, man, I'm sweating up here. 
That was a whole lot of plowing. I've set the foundation. Now we can get to the fun part. Let's make this thing practical, all right? So um, by show of hands, who in here has ever, like, believed God for something? Like, really, really believed God for something, and we're waiting for something. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I ain't done yet. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> you believe God for something, and, like, you never got it, or you're still waiting for it, right? Who, oh, yeah, a lot of hands. Wow. Uh, everybody, my God. So y'all more truthful than the brothers were because half of them ain't raising hand. I know they was lying. Uh, <laughs> or they were asleep. Um, number two, okay, so if you have ever believed God for something and you did not receive it, chances are you skipped one of the points in the flow of faith, right? So the flow of faith, hearing, believing, obeying, and waiting. So Many of us, it's just the waiting part, right? We just have to wait, hold on a little bit longer and wait a little bit longer, and the promise will come, right? For a lot of us, it may be the waiting, I'm sorry, the, the hearing part. So if you skip the hearing part and try to go straight to believing and obedience and waiting, um, that's what I like to call a leap of faith because you're not standing on anything. When you leap, there's nothing up under you. And you hear that so much, you know what I mean, on social media and things like that, take a leap of faith. But our, leap, our, our faith in Christianity is not a leap. It's a stand. I'm standing on the word of God. No matter what winds flow, no matter what waves come, no matter what it looks like around, I'm anchored in the word of God. It's not a leap. All right? And the second, if, if, if you hear something, right, and you don't believe it, and then you try to obey, it's not going to be sustainable because your belief, your, your obedience is not undergirded by a belief system. So... Uh, many of us have patterns of sin right now that are undergirded in unbelief, right? So you, you keep trying to do right. I'm trying to do right. But you don't really believe God's promises concerning whatever that uh, pattern of sin is, right? Number three, um, you hear and you believe, but your belief is challenged by what you see around you. So your belief is defective, and um, you skip the obedience part, right? Promise can't manifest. And number four, you hear, believe, and obey, but you don't want to wait, and you become frustrated, uh, like we talked about earlier, because uh, you are putting more weight on the promise than you are the God of the promise, right? All right, so I have a personal example here. And um, hold on, let me go back to that. Let me go back. I do want to make this point. So um, when you hear, believe, and obey, and you don't want to wait, and you become frustrated, a lot of times what we do is we begin to devise our own plans to, to get the very thing that God promised that he would give us himself. You see this in Sarah, right? When, when, she, when God promised them a child, he said, God, you're taking long. You, you're, taking, you're taking long. And she said, uh, okay, Abraham, I'm going to go have you go ahead and, and make a baby with one of my servant girls, right? And he did it. Thank you, son. <laughs> All right. That was my son, y'all. But more trouble came out of that than anything because they, he decided to, they decided to use their own uh, manly wisdom to, to, to get the promise that God had, had promised them. All right? So I have a personal example. All right? And I need y'all to tap in because there's going to be a quiz after this. All right? So I need y'all to tap in. My personal example. So um, the lifestyle of faith that I live today began with an extreme misapplication of this flow of faith. 
And it nearly cost me everything I had, including my marriage. Thank God my wife is sitting over there right now because she almost wasn't there, y'all. Y'all almost didn't meet me, all right? And so, um, and so this journey started back in 2015. Um, I met a brother at an event, and, um, you know, we linked up, and he, he owned a coffee shop. He owned a few other businesses, a logistic business, um, and he was thriving in some of the things that I wanted to do myself. And as a young man, um, he took me on uh, in a mentor-mentee relationship. And so uh, he began to take me around uh, to events. He began to allow me to see, um, you know, he just kind of gave me a window into his life and allowed me to see um, some of the things that he does. And um, in 2015, an opportunity came up. Somebody approached him about opening up a coffee shop, all right? And he didn't really want to do it. But he told me that if I wanted to do it, um, that it would be something good for me and that we can go into business together and he would do it. And I told him, hey, man, why not? I got a, a, a young wife. She was uh, pregnant at the time. And I'm like, this would be a great opportunity for me to be able to provide the life for my family that I want to provide. All right. And so uh, but my wife didn't want to do it. She I mean, there were so many red flags. I don't have time to get into them today, but there were so many red flags that I was ignoring because I was blinded by really the fear of not being able to provide the kind of life I wanted to for my family, right? So I ignored all the red flags. I'm like, man, let's do it. Let's go. All right, so um, we ended up going into uh, to business. The, the investment that was needed for the business was going to be like most of what our life savings was at the time, all right? And so... Um, I was able to convince my wife to do it based on the fact that I was working at the time. I was making decent money. I'm like, look, you know, we have a baby on the way, but I'm going to be able to sustain the family with my income. So we'll be all right. All right. So we made the investment. Um, and right before we were about to open the coffee shop up, like right before, I got a pink slip. I got laid off my job. So the thing that I was going to fall back on was gone. And so was the money. And I'm looking at my wife at the kitchen table, nine months pregnant and frustrated. Like, like what are we going to do? But, you know, I believe God so much. I believe God so much. Not only did I double down on my faith, I decided that I'm not even going to get another job. I'm going to work this coffee shop because I believe God is going to make something out of this. I'm going to work this coffee shop. And not only am I going to work it, I'm not going to take an income. I'm not going to take a salary because we, don't, we didn't have the funds um, at the time um, to hire me. <laughs> so I didn't take an income. So here we are again. My wife's nine months pregnant. We ain't got no money. And I'm working a job, not making any money. And she's not working. Right? And so um, over time, things, were not, things didn't go well. Things didn't go well. We were popular, but we were broke. Everybody knew our name around the city, but we weren't making no money. Right? And my wife is, is, is suffering. I mean, we are on every kind of assistance known to man. You name it, we was on it. Matter of fact, we was on some that y'all probably don't even know about right now. <laughs> I mean, everything. And um, so maybe a, about a year and a half went by struggling. I wasn't present in the home. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do as a father, as a man, because I believed this thing so much. I was standing on faith. I believed this thing so much. And about a year and a half later, the coffee shop ends up going belly up. And I was left with nothing. I was left broke with a broken marriage and um, a family that I had to put back together. And so um, 
I, I tried to apply the principles of faith, but I was missing something. So um, I want you guys to tell me what, what I might have been missing. So if you think I was missing the waiting period, I should have waited a little longer. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay, a couple people in the back. Okay, okay, okay. If you think that um, belief or obedience was my issue, raise your hand. Belief or obedience. Okay, quite a few people. All right. Um, and if you think hearing was my issue, man, put brothers, put your hands down. <laughs> Y'all already know the answer. If you think hearing is the answer, okay, amen, amen. I hadn't heard nothing from God. I took a leap of faith on my own volition. I didn't ask God nothing. I didn't hear nothing. I didn't read nothing. None of that. I wasn't standing on anything. I took a leap of faith, and there was nothing up under me, so I fell. So um, now I'm, I'm, I'm 26 years old, no money. I got a baby dependent on me. I got a wife dependent on me, not working, dependent on me. What am I going to do? I got to put, I, I've, I've shattered my credibility in my home. So what do I do? All right, so I went back to doing what I know, trucking. I got back on the road, and eventually we were able to get um, a little bit of financial stability um, and, and things back in order on that side. I still didn't have the credibility in my home yet, uh, but I was still dealing with a lot of the symptoms of an unhealthy faith life that we outlined above. So I had got, the, the, the money was okay, the, you know, the stability was there, but I was still dealing with the symptoms of an unhealthy faith life. So I went to God at this point, once we got everything back together, I said, God, I do not want my family to struggle for the rest of their lives. I'm just a truck driver. I know my income is not enough right now to give them the type of life that I want them to live. God, what do I do? I need, I need you to tell me what I can do, a business idea, something. And I'm waiting to hear from God, and, and, and I finally do. And I'm expecting him to give me the next great business idea. But you know what God starts talking to me about? Integrity on my job. <laughs> he starts talking to me about integrity on my job. See, at the time, there was a shortcut that I was taking at the place I was working at the time. A shortcut. That's all I'm going to say, uh, Carlos, because this, this is going to be on YouTube. <laughs> it was a shortcut that I was taking at the job at the time that was making me a lot more money. I'm talking about like 30 to 40% more money in my check every week. And it was like, no, no secret, everybody was doing it. Like everybody was doing it. It was like almost expected at this point, but it was a, it was a shortcut, right? And so... God began to speak to me about this, and I had got convicted about this before, and I would stop for a little bit, but then I started looking at everybody else's check compared to mine, and I'd be like, nah, we're going to go back, we're going to go back, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. But you know what that sin, that shortcut, do you know what it was motivated by? Unbelief. Unbelief. I didn't really believe that God would take care of me like he said he would. I didn't believe that he would supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. I, I heard the word, but I didn't believe it enough to obey him in that moment, right? So he had promises for me. He had things for me, but I was not ready for them yet. Why? Because I didn't even believe him enough for the small things, the things that are in here, right? God gives us promises in our personal prayer life, but it's a whole lot of them right here that, that, that we are not taking advantage of. So, um, so uh, 
it was it was it was unbelieving. So he began to talk, speak to me about that. Um, and then what he began to do was reassure me in his word. My God, today this was one of the most beautiful times in my life. He began to show me, I got you, son. You don't have to. You don't have to to to, to scam and scheme to get ahead. Look, I am in charge of the promotion department. It ain't your job. It's me. So if you need more money, you need to look to me. You need to follow what I'm giving you to do. Um, and so, and so when I begin to, 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 to obey him, not in this area of my life, this was just the, the glaring thing that he spoke to me about. But it overflowed in every area of my life. My family, I begin to obey him in every, every area of my life um, because I began to actually believe the word that I had heard all of this time. Um, and you know what God began to do? Uh, he began to give me favor on that job, right? He began, yo, look, 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 look. See, I'm, not, I'm, I'm getting Buffalo on y'all in a minute, look. So he began to create promotions for me that didn't even exist before. I mean, like, 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 like right now, like right now, I have a position at my job that did not exist before I got there. Come on, y'all. Come on, man. Matter of fact, the job itself didn't even exist before I moved here. So God began to open doors. He began to flood my life with his grace and with his power. My family started looking different because now I got a little bit of credibility. You know what I'm saying? Because now, because I am standing on the word of God, my life is looking different. And my wife can look at me as if I'm believable now, right? When I, when I wasn't standing on nothing, <laughs> she laughed. When I wasn't standing on anything, every th my words would fall to the ground, right? And so, um, again, so God showed me every time I took that shortcut, I was telling him, I don't really trust you. I don't really believe that you're going to do what you said uh, that you would do, all right? And so, um, here we go. I want to I look at a case study. That's my life. I want to look at a quick case study in the Bible, and I'm almost done here. Um, I want to look at the life of Daniel. Now, Daniel was my guy. There's a lot of um, examples in the Word uh, that show us what a lifestyle of faith can do for you. But I just like Daniel, so I picked Daniel today. All right, so Daniel, um, as a young man, found himself in a peculiar situation. Um, he was in exile uh, in Babylon in a, in, in a country that he was not from. And I don't know if you guys know anything about exile back at that time, but the exiled... Um, people in a nation were like the lowest of the low in society. They were like the slaves, the servants. Uh, uh, a, a nation would take another nation and their people and literally make them slaves. So they were like nothing in society. And this is the position Daniel finds himself in in the first chapter of Daniel. Um, but him and three of his friends were summoned by the king uh, to, to train them to be servants to the king, right? And so uh, Daniel 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 8 reads, um, I'm sorry, so before I, go, before I go there, let me give a little bit more. So they were going to, they wanted Daniel to um, take part or eat uh, the food. Part of the training was he was supposed to eat the food of the king, right? Uh, but this food broke some of the laws that, that God had given Israel um, before that, right? And so let's take a look at what Daniel did. So uh, it says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. So he believed God enough to obey him um, even in that circumstance, right? It says, or with wine that he drank. 
Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. So even here, Daniel's belief in obedience, right, it leads to favor uh, with the person that's over him, right? And in verse 17, this favor begins to overflow. It says, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of time, um, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them uh, in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, those were his three friends. Uh, therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king and uh, inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were uh, in all of his kingdom. So a lot of times we look at the faith of Daniel and the faith of the three Hebrew boys, and we think that their faith starts in chapter 6 in the lion's den, but it doesn't. Their lifestyle of faith was already active here in their obedience, um, even, in, even in when it was tough to be obedient, because I mean, I'm sure that the, the, the food from the king looked real tasty. I'm sure he wasn't eating bologna, and, and I'm sure he was eating steaks and shrimp. But instead, they decided to be obedient uh, even then. Uh, and then we read um, later on, and they even became like the ruler over the whole province of Babylon. So God began to open doors and promote them according to their obedience, right? All right, and so um, here we go. Lastly, how to live a lifestyle of faith. So some practical ways that uh, we can live a lifestyle of faith. Number one is to always be in a position to hear. Always be in a position to hear. This includes um, reading your Bible regularly, praying regularly. Um, also coming to church, right? Because you got to remember, a lot of times God won't even speak things directly to you. He will speak them to the people that are in authority over you for them to give to you. So if you're not in position, if you're not here, <laughs> if, the, if, if, if you're not under your assigned pastor, whoever he or she may be, um, you're not in position to hear. You're taking yourself out of position to hear. Number two, write down the promise. Yeah. Write down the promise. All right? So the general promise is already written down for us. Yeah. It's already written down for us. We have to continue to read it and soak it in. But God has specific promises for you, and he wants you to write them down. I have a reminder in my phone uh, that goes off every day at 8 o'clock in the morning. I got one at 4 and one at 6 um, when, I'm, when I'm getting home that tells me to, um, th the last thing that God told me to do, which was to serve my home diligently. So when I get home and I'm tired and I don't feel like doing nothing, I want to sit on the couch, I don't want to do no dishes, I don't want to watch the kids, that reminder goes off, okay, you know what, this, God promised me something, and this is what the, the last thing he told me to do, so I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. All right? Number three, um, seek God for the details. A lot of times God gives us a vision. He gives us the end result, right? But he wants us to seek him along the way for the details. Um, and then number four, uh, <laughs> I like this one. I like this one. Celebrate seemingly small victories. C celebrate seemingly small victories. Um, we, have, we, have, we have this thing on the prayer line, the men's prayer. Matter of fact, uh, yeah, it's going to be tomorrow. Uh, we have a testimony day every first 
uh, Monday of the month, right? We always do praise reports and prayer requests, but the first Monday of the month is reserved for nothing but testimonies because I, like, we want to make a big deal out of what God is doing in our lives. And I want to hear about what God is doing in my brother's lives because it encourages my faith, right? So when we had um, a few months ago, as you guys know, Deacon Chat, um, he beat stage three, stage three B cancer a few months ago. And uh, I remember, amen, amen. I remember that week when he announced on the prayer line on, on testimony day that he had beat that cancer. Man, we rejoiced with this brother. It was six o'clock in the morning. Most of us on mute. But we were rejoicing with this brother, right? And then that same day, Brother Roger, I think it was Brother Roger, turned around and told us about his wrist that was hurting and God had helped to heal his wrist. You know what we did? The same type of enthusiasm and vigor we thank God for that cancer with, we thank God for, for Roger's wrist. Because it's the same God. We're celebrating the small victories. It encourages our faith. So get around some people that you can celebrate small victories with, all right? This is a small victory for me. I'm up here talking to y'all, and I'm almost made it through my whole message ain't, without passing out or, uh, <laughs> of nervousness. Amen. All right. And number five, number five, uh, we already went over this, but it says, ask God to help your unbelief. So, again, waiting is, is, is it's not easy. It, it challenges you. Anytime things are being worked out of you, it's going to be challenging. God is, God is not just sitting back waiting on you, looking at you, seeing what you're going to do. He wants to get in the game with you, and he wants you to help him. I mean, he wants to help you. So don't be afraid to ask God uh, to help your unbelief, all right? And then lifestyle of faith results. What are the results of a lifestyle of faith? Number one, satisfaction, man, satisfaction. Um, well, we used to think that nothing goes right for you, like we said the, um, in the beginning, um, and that you would never amount to anything. Um, we are, so here we go. I'm not waiting on anything to be satisfied, um, to satisfy me because I'm already satisfied and settled and God alone, right? So we have this, um, faith gives you a settledness. It gives you, it gives you this, I'm, I'm gonna pick on Chad again because Chad is my guy. I'm sorry, Chad. You just happen to be standing there. But Chad is one of the people that, he is one of the greatest examples to me of a lifestyle of faith, right? Because chat, no matter what, chat, I talk to chat probably almost every day, right? And chat has been through some things, right? This year, he's been through some things. But no matter what, he always looked like how he looked right now. You can never tell. There's a settledness about chat because he's standing on the word of God. And the word of God ain't moving. Even though his situation is moving, the word isn't moving, right? So... The word of God has become reality in his life. So even when you talk to him about his issues, he's not really talking about the issue. He's talking about what God has said concerning that issue. And that's why he has a settledness and a satisfaction about him. All right. Uh, number two, uh, stability. All right. Lack of stability, especially for young folk. You know what I mean? Lack of stability is an issue. You know what I mean? Faith stabilizes you because, again, it, it's not dependent upon what's going on in your life. It's dependent on the word that's always the same. And lastly, but not least, Pastor, I'm, I'm just about done, Pastor. Last but not least, um, influence. So the stability and the settledness that faith gives you qualifies you for influence. Influence, God just doesn't give out influence willy-nilly, right? He doesn't just entrust influence to anybody. Um, 
he wants to give influence to those who he can trust with it. And so um, we, as we look at Daniel, right, God gave him unbelievable influence even in unlikely places. He wasn't supposed to have the influence that he had in Babylon as an exiled youth, as a teenager, right? He wasn't supposed to have that kind of uh, influence. He was just a young man um, in a land that wasn't his own, right? And so um, that applies to us. A lot of us are, you know, we, 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 we use that same word. We're just, a, I'm just a, uh, you know, a waiter at a restaurant. I'm just a clerk at a grocery store. I'm just a truck driver. But God can do a whole lot with a just a, if you will stand on his word, if you will be faithful to his word, he can do a whole lot. I'm just a kid. I'm just a teenager. For the young folk, God can do a whole lot through a teenager. You don't have to wait until you get older. God can do a whole lot um, in you now if you'll dedicate um, yourself to being faithful to his word. All right? And so um, just in conclusion, um, I just want to reiterate this verse. I didn't lean on it hard enough, um, but... The Bible tells us that the promises of God, the promises of God, the promises of God are received by our faith. So if, you, if, if you're one of those who says the promises of God are manifesting in my life right now, um, I want to encourage you, man, to, to just continue to believe, continue to enjoy God while you wait. The promise is definitely coming. If he said it, it's coming. Um, you don't have to be, live your life in Christ unsatisfied. Just continue to uh, walk by faith, and the promise will manifest in your life. So, amen. Amen. Appreciate it.